0: The thunder and lightning, they were, they were a little scared. I said, don't worry, it's, it's going to be okay. This is all part of God's plan of how He allows nourishment to fall upon us. We've been working on the story for several weeks now. We're about to begin chapter 4, which means chapter 3 has led us through the 50 chapters of Genesis. So you didn't get the whole thing, but if you've been following along with the story, you've been hitting some highlights. We're going to spend the next three weeks in Exodus, which is three chapters in here. It's another long book, and there's a lot of stories that we are going to miss out on, but we're going to hit some highlights. One thing that we have been trying to say over and over and over again is neither this story nor the unabridged story here ended at Revelation. Now you can look at the back of your Bible and you get through all the concordance and the Bible helps and the colorful maps and you work your way back and you get to Revelation and you think this has to be the end. We close it and the Word of God is done speaking. But that's not true. It's the Word of God which is still alive today and He is writing our story, His story through us even today. And so f- for a few minutes, I'm going to ask Troy Allen to come up, and you are going to hear a part of God's story that's being written in Florida, all the way to Hobbes, and who knows from here. Troy? Troy?
1: up there earlier and your old pictures from school, and you're like, I looked ridiculous. And that picture's only three years old. My kids are always like, Dad, they can't put that up there. <laughs> Man came home from work one day, sitting in his chair, tired, exhausted from the day. And his son walks up to him and goes, son, and goes, Dad, Dad, I want you to come out and play catch with me. Get off the chair, come play catch with me. And the dad goes, son, I'm really tired. He goes, I'll tell you what, you go get your room cleaned. And I'll play catch with you. So the kid runs to his room. He has his room cleaned in five minutes. Comes back to his dad. You didn't really go in that room. He goes, yeah, it's spotless. Dad goes, room's spotless. Dad's still exhausted. He goes, son, well, do the dishes for me. Do the dishes. Get the dishes done, and I'll go out and play catch with you. I promise, son, I'll get up and play catch with you. Kid gets the dishes done in two minutes and runs back to him. Dad, I'm done. And believe it or not, he got the dishes done. Dad said, I need more break than this. I just need a little bit more time to sit down. So he goes and he pulls out this 1,500-piece puzzle of the world. He says, son, I want you to put this puzzle together. As soon as you're done putting that puzzle together, I'll play catch with you. Kid's gone. He's gone for the longest period of time now. Takes him 30 minutes. Comes back and he's got a 1,500-piece puzzle of the world put together perfectly. Dad goes, how did you do that? Dad goes, "Son," son goes, dad. There's a picture of a little boy on the back. He goes, and it was so easy to put him together right. But you know what? When you put him together right, the world comes out perfect. I told that story when I was 12 years old in a Timothy class. And uh, I was supposed to be speaking in the front of the church. And I told that story way back then. And back then, God threw upon my heart Kids. They're what what makes it go around. And this is what led my family into adoption. When I was 12, 13 years old, my mom used to take me to a store called the Fox and Hound, which is an inexpensive place to pick up nice clothes that were secondhand, Nike shoes, whatever. You could pick up the nice stuff. And I used to take my allowance money and buy shoes for kids that needed shoes. I didn't go buy them cheap shoes. I didn't go buy them the kids with the yellow stripes like I had to wear when I was a kid. I went and bought them nice shoes because I I thought everybody should have a nice pair of shoes. And these were kids that didn't have anything and didn't have much. Well, in 1989, I met this girl in high school. And everybody says I'm the crazy one in the family, okay? I'm the one who's crazy. I told this girl, after we have been dating for four years, that I wanted to have 12 children. You know what? She married me anyway. So who's the crazy one in this family? Okay? (laughs) But anyway, this was our decision to adopt a child. And Carol came up to me a couple weeks ago and says, Troy, I want you to get up and tell one story of how God's affected your life through adoption. And I looked at her, and you asked her, I looked at her and said, one? One story? How do I tell one story? Well, I, say, I went home to Becky and I said, Becky, they want me to tell one story about how God's helped us and through the adoption and through getting these kids and through raising these children. And I'm like, which one do I tell? Do I tell the one about Willie? He was the one who started all. Do I tell the one about Tyler who was abandoned in a hospital bathroom at birth? Do I tell the one about Devin and Warren? The most recent one, both of us went, tell the most recent one. The most recent one happened just this last year. And you wonder as a foster parent or an adoptive parent, what am I doing? Is anything I'm doing helping anybody? You know, you don't do this for recognition. You don't do it for pats on the back. You don't do it for that. But you start to wonder, is anything I'm doing having an effect? When we got Warren and Devin, Devin's 20 now. Warren's 22, just turned 22. Warren was seven years old. Devin was five. Warren wanted nothing to do with me. Didn't have anything to do, didn't like white guys, didn't want nothing to do with a white dad. And we struggled all the way through, all the way up through until he was 18. I used to argue, used to get mad and yell at him just to get a response out of the boy. Couldn't get a response out of him for nothing. But we tried to be as honest as we could with him, and he always asked, where's my birth parents, what did they do? And we were as honest with him as we could be. From everything we'd been told, we told him the truth. We told him exactly what happened. Last winter, Warren decided, he called me and said, Dad, I'm going to go find my birth mom. And I said, son, I support you in that. I want you to go do it. Deep down inside, I'm going, oh, Lord, please be with my son. Warren went to upstate New York, Albany, New York. Now, a lot of y'all know this story because I've talked to you about it. Went to upstate New York to visit his birth mom, and he didn't know how long he was going to be there. He was going to go up there and live. His idea was to go up there and live for a while with her and see where he came from. He was there one week. One week, and I got a phone call. Sorry, I'm going to try to keep it together. Dad, yes, son, what can I do for you? You you all right? He goes, I'm fine. He goes, you were right. About what? So he goes, You were right about everything. And for the first time, fifteen years, he said, Dad, I love you and mom. And thank you for everything you've done for me. Ladies and gentlemen, James one twenty seven, if you'll turn with me there, real quick, and this is another thing that got us started. It says, religion that your father accepts as pure and faultless, I can't see the words right now, is for those who look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Lady in church, one time, they miss his gains, sweet little old lady I when we first moved to Florida, took us in as her grandkids and let us swim in her pool and always was us. She comes up to me at church one day after Becky and I had been married for about four years and all we had was Willie at the time. She goes, when are you going to start having kids of your own? I said, "Miss Gaines, when I'm ready, when we're ready. She goes, well, you might not ever be ready. I said, then Miss Gaines, then we won't ever have kids. Well, a year after that, my wife gave birth to Madison. And within a year, we had 11 children in our home. Miss Gaines, same lady, comes up to me and goes, Troy, when are y'all going to stop taking in kids? When are you going to stop doing this? And I said, Miss Gaines, whenever the Lord stops providing a way for us to take care of these kids, then we'll stop taking kids. Devin, Tyler, come here, please man was walking down the beach one time and there was these starfish that washed up on shore. It washed up on shore and he was walking down the beach throwing each starfish back in the water. And he was throwing them in one at a time and a guy comes up to him and said, there's hundreds and thousands of starfish on that shore. There's no way you can save them all. He said, yeah. Looks at the one in his hand. He goes, I can save this one. Thank you for letting me share that. You.
0: you know, there's a lot of things that we think about when we read about uh, Moses. Um, so many things come to mind. Maybe you think of him as the one who carries the staff. If you have kids that go to children's church, now is the time to let them go. And nobody else can leave. That's not, I don't think this, that you can get up before I'm done. So Moses did quite a few things uh, throughout uh, his time here on earth, and, and God blessed him in very powerful ways. And, but we don't think of his beginnings quite so much. If you try to describe Moses, you might say that he was the one who carried. The staff and threw it down and it turned into a snake and he picked it back up again. Something that we would never think about doing. Maybe you imagine him as the one who was a sea splitter or a tablet holder. Maybe he's a God arguer or an Israelite deliverer. Some of you, every time you hear Moses, for some reason, you think of a guy who looks an awful lot like Charlton Heston. We have these ideas of who Moses is and what he did. We think of him standing barefoot at a bush that just wouldn't burn. Maybe some of you remember him as a murderer. This is a part of Moses' life. But we have to go back even earlier than that. We go back... ...to a little boy, a baby boy, put in a basket. You're probably less familiar with these names. You've probably heard of Miriam and maybe even Jochebed. Some of you may remember Zipporah, but how about Amram? Amram was a Levite who married another Levite... And her name was Jochebed. And they lived approximately 400 years after Joseph had brought his family, his brothers, his father, back to Egypt to live with them during the famine. But after Joseph died, the Pharaohs forgot who these Israelites were. All they saw them as this very Powerful, fruitful group. And they looked amongst each others, and the Pharaoh at that time says, I'm a little worried about these guys. You know, they're getting pretty strong. And if an enemy rises up against us, they may join their side and put us in a whole lot of trouble. So let's enslave them. And so that's what they did. And yet even as they were enslaved and oppressed they began to grow. And I have a, just a side story to share with you now. I don't know about you, but I'm a little uncomfortable with what's going on with our society. I'm, I don't feel, I don't have a warm, fuzzy feeling about the government, society, our culture, this angst that we have towards religion. This denial of a God, it really kind of bothers me a whole lot. But in a conversation that I had with Lance the other day, as we were talking about how bad things are getting, we started to talk about how great God is seen during dark times. I mean, how many times when you look through history, it's during these rough times where people are called to either call on God or to deny Jesus, that's it. We've gotten into a society where this world isn't so bad. Maybe it's comfortable. But that wasn't the case for the Egyptians. That wasn't the case for the Israelites who were under the thumb of the Egyptians at that time. And this is when God was ready to do a really great work. So Jochebed and Amram, they have a child. And this child is supposed to be murdered. That was the edict from the Pharaoh, let the girls live, but kill all the boys. And Jochebed just couldn't allow that to happen. You know, we saw the picture up here. It's one that we may be familiar with. Or at least you remember the flannel graph, the baby blue flannel graph... ...that has Jacobed, and you have the reeds, and you have the little basket that Moses has put in... ...and pushed down the river, and it's very clean, and it's very sterile. And we know the story. We know what happens. Right? We know what happens. And this is the insert awkward, weird preacher joke where everybody says, oh, Moses, he was a basket case. I had to get that out. And so he goes floating down the river, and we know what happens next. Does anybody remember? Pharaoh's daughter. She's out bathing. She sees a little baby in the basket, and she says, oh, there's a pretty baby. She looks up, and there happens to be Miriam. Miriam is who? Moses' sister? I mean... How serendipitous is this? Pharaoh's daughter goes to Miriam and says, Find the baby's mother and let uh, let her nurse him, and I will pay her to do this. Well, we all know that story. Jochebed didn't. She didn't know what was going to happen. She hadn't seen the flannel graph. She hadn't read the story. All she knew was this little baby boy that she had birthed and loved was in danger. And she she could not kill that child. I don't know how long it took to make that basket. But I can guess that before it ever got near that river, it had been soaked with tears from a mother who loved her little boy. And so she goes down to the river with that basket and they push it off. And she just doesn't know what's going to happen. How many of us are afraid to completely trust that God will take care of us? I want us to think about this. You know, Moses wasn't perfect. In fact, we later are going to read that he's going to miss out on the promised land because of some of the issues that he had. And he got mad every once in a while. If you're a parent, you know what that's like. He comes down from the mountain, he has the tablets, he's been talking to God, he's so excited. And he goes down there and, well, I don't want to give the story away, but we know what happens to the tablets. But he was a deliverer. God used Moses in such a powerful, powerful way. He did. But before Moses, was Jochebed. A woman kneeling by the river. A mother, heartbroken and scared. The faith that she displayed saved a nation. Do you understand that? Her small, I don't want to say small, but the act of faith that she displayed down by the reeds as she shoved off her baby, as she hears it cooing and crying as it goes down the river. That faith that she displayed... With that little child allowed God to use Moses in an unbelievable way? Who knows the potential that we have in this room? Who knows that cute little blonde Conlin might not grow up and be the president someday? Who knows that Ethan may be the one who finds a cure for cancer? Who knows that one of you who's past childhood may reach out and touch the life of someone who's going to do something spectacular? You just don't know. Here's what I do know. It's very simple. whether you have been a part of a family who's adopted, or maybe you yourself have been adopted, one thing we know for sure is this. All of us have been chosen by God. I want to take just a moment and read 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 9. It's a passage you're probably quite familiar with. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people. Once you were an orphan. But now you have God as your Father. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This morning we want to remind each one of you that while you were not only created by God, you were chosen by Him. I want to take just a moment. I think we have just enough time. I want to share a small video clip with you to celebrate what's going to take place a little bit later on today. You can skip one more. Troy was uh, thinking about sharing that picture. It has a little girl, and she was being made fun of at school. Let's go ahead and start our video.
2: How deep the Father's love for us His only son to make a wretch his treasure. Spoon. Mm-hmm.
0: That's a really good question if you heard in the song, how deep is the Father's love for us? It's, it's hard not to look at those pictures uh, of little uh, Grace or Gracie or Vivi or Vivian. She's got lots of names, but even more than that is that she has a great family that she's going to be coming home to soon. I've just introduced to you uh, little Miss Grace, uh, who right now is in China and is going through the process of being adopted. Uh, She was abandoned by her parents, Uh, and while she is like many other starfish on the beach, there is a family here that said, we can't save everybody, but we can save her. And so the campaigns uh, have been through this arduous process of filling out paperwork and collecting funds and uh, doing garage sales and fundraisers and lots and lots and lots of prayers. I wish I could spend more time talking about this, but about a year ago um, I I spoke uh, with Jacob and Cassie and they said, you know what, we we really want to talk with the elders uh, some morning, and it's it's not uncommon for the elders uh, to visit with a, a family. And I wasn't really sure what was going on. I was a little um, nervous or anxious about what would happen. And then she went on to explain, we we are going to begin the process of adopting. And we know it's going to take several years. But we know before any of that starts, we have to be in prayer. And so they met with the elders and began praying and, and God heard their prayers, and everything has just been fast-tracked. They were um, uh, assigned a child or offered an opportunity to take grace, and they immediately jumped on that. And it has been a whirlwind, hasn't it? Uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, and so everything has come quite quickly. Uh, and we, we want to ask you if you would consider partnering with this family... As they bring grace home. And I don't know what that looks like for you and your life. But I'm really excited. About showing a child who hasn't received much love. And who hasn't been in a home. I can't wait for, for her to see a family for some strange, weird, white people to surround her and love her and hug her. Because she just hasn't had enough of that. And someday when she's a lot older, what she's going to hear from people is, we remember praying for you and seeing your picture when you were still hundreds, thousands of miles away. After we have class... Uh, this, this morning, we are going to go straight into a meal that has already been provided. Uh, and we want to ask you to stay around with us as we get to listen a little bit more about their story and how this whole process, how God's story is being written today. Uh, and we're going to give you an opportunity. The meal is, is free of charge. Um, The staff has worked very hard um, uh, making the lasagna, which means that we went to Walmart and bought it. (laughs) But we have heated it up and it will be ready with salad and some also homemade breadsticks that we purchased at the store. (laughs) And we're going to have that. And we want to ask that you just sit down with the family uh, and hear a little bit about their story. Be be willing to partner with them. Uh, We have a a little vase out there that if you would like to make a donation for the food, all of what you put in that jar is going to go towards bringing grace home. And so we want to encourage you to consider doing that. God's story is being written through you. Whether it's through your support and prayers of adopting a child the way that you live and work at your job, the way that you encourage other people, you know, the way that you share the testimony of your grandmother at her funeral. Each one of you are God's letter that's written. And it's a letter that Hobbes needs to hear. It's the story of God's grace. If there's any way that we can help you this morning, please come as we stand and sing. I need the every hour most. Great.